everyone. I'm your host, Christina Laney Mitri, and welcome to Smart Living Hawaii's podcast, where we discuss smart homes and technology, sustainability, healthy lifestyles, and smart business. Today, we'll continue our Sustainable Leaders series and have a talk story with Surf Riders Duray Shin, the coordinator for our Oahu chapter. We will be learning about the Surf Rider Foundation, their passion projects, updates on the plastics banned here on Oahu, and the Ocean Friendly Restaurant Initiative, and possibly, if we can get into it, a new pilot program called Full Cycle Takeout, and um, whatever else we can squeeze in in under an hour. <laughs> Aloha, Dere. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. And as always, I'd like to begin with sharing a little bit on Surfrider and Ray. So I'd like to start off with the Surfrider Foundation. It's founded in 1984. It's dedicated to the protection and enjoyment of the world's oceans, waves, and beaches for all people through a powerful activist network. The Surfrider Foundation is largely volunteer-run organization, and it's nationwide. There are 80 local chapters doing the grassroots works along with a hundred youth clubs, and this is around the world. Around the country. Country, country. Okay, and now on to DeRay. She's currently the coordinator for Oahu's chapter, and she previously served as the program manager for the Plastic Free Hawaii program of the Kokua Hawaii Foundation, and she started her career as a college activist at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, and as a student, she led a successful campaign to ban styrofoam from food establishments on campus and acted as the first ever student sustainability coordinator in UH Office of Sustainability. And if you want to know more about University of Office of Sustainability, we definitely have a podcast at Matt Lynch, which is really good. Um, in addition to... She has another initiative. Maybe you want to drop that in really quick since we're talking about you. Yeah, a little side project. Um, me and my close friend started Good Food Movement. Um, that's the tag on Instagram too, but it's just to, to inspire people in Hawaii to connect to the power of their food choice, primarily promoting plant-based, local, organic eating and consumption habits so that we can save our planet every single day with, our, with the, what we are eating on our plates. Awesome. Maybe we'll do a podcast specifically on that one yeah. in the future. So that'll be great. So let's dive in. Um, let's go with your background growing up. What would you like to share with our listeners? Are you from here? No, I'm actually born and raised in Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Yeah, and my parents were uh, immigrants from South Korea. My mom came out in high school. She went back to Korea, married my dad, and then came out here. So they both kind of became immigrants young, I guess kind of around my age in their 20s. And then, yeah, me and my sister were born in Pennsylvania, near, near in the greater Philadelphia area. And they were, they were activists. So they did a lot of demonstrations. Some of it was for immigrant rights. Some of it was, you know, for just... Uh, advancing um, justice for Korean Americans and Asian Americans in Philadelphia and across the country. So I was exposed to a lot of activism and demonstrations and rallies before I could even read. There's a picture of me holding a sign and I was like one, so I know I couldn't read it. But um, yeah, I think that was a part of what shaped my, my desire to get involved more in the community and be empowered in that way. I feel like a lot of, I wouldn't say second generation activists, but in general, like if their parents have done it, 
and had their children around, that's kind of a lot of the people that are very active now, I would say, like they kind of know what they're doing and how it is. And I think that's a really awesome thing that you guys were doing to educate too on how to, you know, whether it's just to petition or to um, put in a statement and things like that. So I'll get into that later. <laughs> but um, what do you do for fun? So for fun, I love to surf. And no, this, get out of town. Yeah, no. do you surf too? Oh, no, I'm just saying it's the Surf Rider Foundation. I kind of think that. Well, actually, when I first volunteered in college, like eight years ago, I was not a surfer. I didn't have that like deep connection to the ocean quite yet because I had just moved to college when I was 18. But it definitely developed and grew stronger and stronger over the years and finally learned how to surf a few years into living here. And um, I'm still not like amazing. I don't do any big waves, just longboarding, but I love to surf. I love to read, um, have potlucks with my friends and stuff. So yeah. yeah, really passionate about just like the people close to me and being healthy and being active. Awesome. I did. I definitely love the ocean too. I paddled the channel a couple times and I, um, always did bodyboarding when I was little it's and fun, huh? diving, scuba diving, all that kind of stuff. So yes, definitely connected to the ocean. Surfing is something I always wanted to do, but my dad was a diver. So you end up doing under the surface. Actually, I don't see any of that. So we should trade, trade <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, moving on into how did you find your way into sustainability or this green world that we live in and we support? Yeah, I mean, I think my first exposure to sustainability and climate change was just watching Inconvenient Truth, I think, as a freshman in high school, just one of those movie days at school. And, you know, it's really just mind blowing how severe the problem was and not being exposed to that issue otherwise in my K through 12 education. So when I went to college, I was interested in environmental studies, but I kind of pivoted to political science because I've always been really into the dynamics of politics and progressive politics specifically. But I started to just hear more and more about the severity of climate change, especially in Hawaii here in the tropics where we're far more vulnerable to the impacts of climate change than uh, most any other place in the world. Um, and so especially as an island community, and I, I really felt like I had this responsibility to focus my energy and community organizing into sustainability. So I switched my major, I get, got immersed in all these activism and clubs and events and um, just really kind of went from there. But originally in college and in high school, I was doing a lot of immigrant rights activism and um, trying to save uh, families from deportation, families that have contributed um, in a positive way to America that were facing deportation in an unjust way. So I've always been passionate about justice. And for me, sustainability was a way to connect, you know, all of these injustices, whether it's poverty or immigrant rights and anything else going on, civil rights, you know, it, it all connects back to what's going on in our environment, how we treat the environment and how we treat the people um, in in any type of community um, and any type of race and, and background. And I think that's kind of, it's kind of a catch all for me to tackle all of our major national and global issues. Yeah, it's a, it's a big task, um, <laughs> but I have to admit that you guys and the group, almost like the HUI that you guys work with, the other programs, I mean, people that are part of your um, initiatives when you guys do uh, lobby for things, it's it's making a huge impact and it's changing, It's it is changing laws. And that's basically um, 
I would love to talk a little bit more about that too, but we'll jump into that after we talk about Surfrider Foundation. So um, I know we discussed the mission a little bit, but maybe we can dive into what you guys actually do nationally and locally besides beach cleanups, because I think most people think, right, Surfrider beach cleanups. Um, I know that's kind of like your little hook, but what do you do past that? Yeah, we call our we call our beach cleanups like a gateway to all of our other work. Um, and yeah, we love to highlight all the other activities we're up to. So um, one is Blue Water Task Force. That's our citizen science water quality monitoring project. So we have volunteers dispatched island-wide to test the water quality on our shoreline, beaches, and waters. Um, and, and all that public for all, the, all that da data for several years is publicly available. And we currently are testing 17 sites across the island, many of which have very high bacteria results on a, on a consistent basis. So it really raises awareness about what, where it's safe. Um, and, you know, staff infections and MRSA, that kind of stuff has been on the rise for a long time. So just trying to track our water quality um, on the island. And that really supports the work of the Department of Health. And we also have an ocean-friendly gardens program. We have a big 11,000-square-foot um, garden in Kaka'ako. It's all permaculture-driven, um, local organic food being grown. And the concept is that we're preventing a lot of stormwater runoff, which is the number one source of ocean pollution. Um, you know, having this water soak into the earth and grow these amazing plants and heal the soil on a you know, on land that was previously abandoned and unused. So that's a really inspiring project. You can drive past and see like all these big trees and bananas and all kinds of stuff. So it's awesome to see it transform. It's actually located right by the Burns Medical yeah, Center. Yeah, JAPSA Medical Building. Yeah, it's right across the street. So um, yeah, people who are like have that green thumb, it's next to the ocean, but it's like on land. Love that program. And then we also work on coastal preservation, and it, that's a big, been a big recent uh, priority for us is to start to wrap our heads around what's going on with sea level rise, all these seawalls that are going up from private homeowners and landowners that really are uh, destroying our sandy beaches for for the entire future for the whole public. Um, and so it's it's a challenging and tough issue. We've just started to connect with stakeholders around this and we'll be focusing uh, on that kind of moving forward as an organization because we have had all these plastic related victories um, and so we've been able to pivot a little bit to try to give that some attention and the last little thing is beach access and uh, making sure that we uh, you know that no illegal gates and nothing's being blocked nothing's blocking the public off to, to our uh, collective right to access um, our beaches and they are public spaces and we shouldn't have private homeowners putting up illegal gates and things like that because you know the beaches are, are ours to enjoy and that's part of our state constitution and part of the public trust so yeah access sustainability uh, preservation all kinds of stuff beyond beach cleanups is yeah. is important to highlight what we do yeah, so with that, um, let's dive into some of the policy and bills that you guys work on or have worked on and maybe the victories that you guys have done, just so we can put that into perspective. Our nonprofit isn't one that does lobbying and everything like that, but we always can share what other people are doing and how they go about it. And if you guys are interested in anything that comes up, then you can always reach out to these entities that do, you know, lobby and 
put a lot more effort and the more act, you know activist sort of way um, on all of these things. So um, let's talk about the hot topic Bill 40 yeah. um, and um, banning plastics. I think this one we've heard for a while, but things have slightly postponed and um, maybe you can explain what it is um, and how it came about and then um, I guess the extension but first what it is because yeah. some people like are new to everything green here and they're learning through a lot of these podcasts so um, to start from the beginning would be good. <laughs> yeah totally so Bill 40 is is one of the most sweeping plastic phase-out laws in the country it applies it applies only to the island of Oahu, so in the city and county of Honolulu. So the city council in December of 2019, just about a year ago, passed this bill seven to two. So it was a it's a positive vote. You know, it wasn't even that close. It was a seven to two vote. Two vote. The mayor signed it in December of 2019, and it was slated to uh, go into effect this January. It's been delayed to April just because of COVID and the difficulties for businesses and the economy. Uh, yeah, but it, it effectively uh, bans most single-use plastics that are being used for takeout. So anything that you're ordering and taking out kind of hot, ready-to-go, um, prepared food. So it doesn't apply to catering and grab-and-go, stuff like that, but it applies to takeout, which is our biggest source of disposable plastic um, that's being used in the food industry. So it's yeah. And styrofoam. Yeah, so include styrofoam. I think people, not everybody has the perception that that's part of the, the plastic. plastic. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's petroleum-based plastic. So this is the stuff that lasts for thousands of years or forever in our environment or when it's burned, like all trash is burned on Oahu. It, it's being, um, it's really toxic in terms of the ash and stuff that's coming out. So what businesses have to switch to over the next two years will be paper and compostable products. So um, no petroleum-based products for, for what's included. This first year um, from, you know, April, I guess now, to the following year is uh, only applying to serviceware, which includes utensils and straws and stirrers, as well as those little, like, green sushi grasses that's just, like, a cut-out piece of plastic. Yeah, I don't really think we need those. I think yeah. it just costs them money. <laughs> Yeah, and so that's, <laughs> to be free, I don't see the point. <laughs> it's a waste, and they fly out really easily if you're eating outside, and so it's just unnecessary. And um, what's really cool is not only does it require businesses to switch those products, utensils and straws and stuff, over to compostable and uh, paper, but it also requires that they're only allowed to give it to customers that request it. So they got to get a positive response that a customer wants it and needs it. And the studies show right now that 98% of people are eating at home or at work where they readily have utensils available and they don't need the utensils and the soy sauce and the chopsticks and um, napkins, all that stuff like you don't need when you're eating at home. So what's really cool is that that little clause in the law is slated to save businesses thousands of dollars on stuff that they were giving away just willy nilly for free and you know, I don't know about you, but most people I talk to have a utensil drawer full of disposable chopsticks and stuff that they never used and got too much. And of. didn't even ask for, right? And then you didn't realize it's inside. <laughs> so if the businesses comply and the customers participate in making sure they only ask for it, 
um, you know, everyone can save money. So the businesses can save money and the businesses really need it right now. So we really want to highlight that banning plastic is not hurting businesses. That's kind of the rhetoric we hear from the other side, but that um, it has a high potential to save businesses money with this reduction model. Yeah, and I kind of think too, when we're dealing with sustainability and changing things to what people are comfortable and used to and maybe perhaps the low cost, is finding solutions to where, you know, it is going to offset costs in a different way, right? So, and I think that's this one. So if you're, it may cost more to buy that specific product, hopefully in the future, it'll actually be cheaper, right? Mm -hmm. um, especially with who knows taxes and all the things that happen on products that they, the government doesn't want you to create anymore, right? Yeah. I'm sure that will happen sometime too. And then they cost even more money. And then they subsidize things that they want and then they'll cost less. So hopefully that transition will happen. But in addition, you won't have to buy as much. So that's yeah, a win, right? Exactly. And I think that's there's kind of this like fear around doing these new policies. Just like the bags. Even I the mean, bags. It's the bags. It's the same. It's it's something that you have to get used to. I mean, then when you forgot your bag, now it's like your mask. Oh, I forgot my mask. But, you know, you get used to all of these things. <laughs> I feel like we have to move beyond, like, our individual inconvenience. And the inconvenience, we have to remember, is always temporary when we're dealing with change. And if we can get over that temporary feeling of inconvenience um, and the, the challenge of changing, which is just part of the human experience, businesses have to go through it, we have to go through it then we can move towards a society that has longevity, has sustainability, and has compassion yeah. embedded into it. Because we can't just keep looking at the short term and, and just disregard the climate crisis and disregard all of these things happening in our society um, just to make sure we're making enough money um, at the outset of, of your business plan. And so we really need to just think holistically. There's plenty of businesses, most businesses completely thriving, um, from switching even 10 years ago when these products were way more expensive, um, expanding to several locations and all of this. So, you know, the, the fear mentality is just um, not the full picture. It's not really accurate. And it, it's, it's not really empowering to be telling businesses this stuff rather than supporting them and how do they reduce these costs and how do they reduce unnecessary waste. And so that's kind of like what we're trying, the message that we're trying to spread. That we don't hate awesome. businesses. We work with them all the time. Some of us own businesses. Yeah. Um, and you can do it the right way. So just a touch on um, ocean-friendly restaurant mm -hmm. initiative that you guys have. I know I've helped with you on a couple, um, but could you explain that program and how it works? And will this end up phasing out our ocean-friendly restaurants if we actually do that? I mean, maybe not, but I mean, it's kind of... That's a gonna... common question. Yeah, Ocean Friendly Restaurants is, is one of our biggest programs, and it certifies uh, local businesses that have reduced or eliminated plastic and adopted, you know, several of the other sustainability criteria. And uh, it's been really popular over the years since its inception about five years ago. And uh, it's cool because it's not exactly the same as Bill 40. So there's still things within Ocean Friendly Restaurants that aren't included in any of our local legislation. One of them being that if folks are dining in, um, they have to be given reusable tableware. So, I mean, I've seen cafes, you're like, for here, and they still give you the styrofoam and the plastic, and they don't feel like doing the dishes or hiring a dishwasher. 
Um, so that's one of the requirements, which is really the future of this whole movement is moving back to prioritizing reusables whenever possible, because that's always going to have the lowest carbon footprint. Anything disposable, even if it's paper or plastic, uh, or even if it's paper or compostable, eco-friendly, whatever, um, still a way higher footprint than reusing the same things over and over again. And yeah, so the Ocean Friendly Restaurants Program will still be relevant. And it's cool because a lot of the optional criteria that businesses have to meet some of include like having vegetarian and vegan options consistently on your menu, uh, you know, reducing your water footprint, using energy efficient, efficient appliances. So it's, it's a little and bit more holistic. Too. Yeah, and dealing with um, recycling and things like that properly. So it's more holistic. And, um, you know, that's obviously a golden, you know, something that we're looking forward to doing legis legislatively. But uh, the Ocean Friendly Restaurants Program gives us like more of an incentive based way to do that with businesses for now. Yeah, and they do, back when we had events and stuff like that, yeah. um, they did have, like, you know, monthly palhanas and things like that, which we would then support specific um, ocean-friendly restaurants throughout the year. And they had a lot of different options or, I guess, programs, things that you can dine in at these restaurants and have certain types of discounts. So they, they do also some kind of promotional things for ocean-friendly restaurants. And if you do find that there is a restaurant that's not an ocean-friendly restaurant, but they kind of follow these guidelines, you should reach out to them and see if they're interested. Surfrider can possibly, you know, just certify them right away. It's really easy and if I you have things lined up. So. I should mention too that when we're going to be, you know, this is actually one of Hawaii's one of the first places to launch ocean friendly restaurants. Um, San Diego did it, and then we were like, this is great, we should do that here. And then nationally, our uh, headquarters picked it up as a national program and turned it kind of into a, a paid model. It's only like 125 a year, so it wasn't a huge cost for most businesses, but we are moving to a donation based model. So it'll be far more accessible, especially now, because so many businesses are hurting that they can get this certification and these mar these marketing benefits without cutting into into their costs. Um, so we're excited that that's going to be coming out this year. And they also have um, some vendors too, right? That have a lot of these um, that may be actually less expensive than what they're finding elsewhere. So that's a with all of these these. Um, compostable different takeaways items so yeah that's super cool let's see what else did we some of the victories that maybe you don't everybody here doesn't know about that you guys worked on one was sunscreen maybe you can tap into that because that was recent as well yeah and i think we were uh i wasn't with surfer at the time but we were not like leading this campaign so i definitely um give credit to those who are really active and leading and getting the scientists and legislators involved. But the sunscreen ban um, allowed for Hawaii to become the first, not even the first state, but the first place in the world to create a ban on toxic chemicals um, in sunscreen. So almost every conventional commercial sunscreen made by, made by a big company was toxic. It had oxybenzone, octanoxate, and several other toxic chemicals in it. So um, the ban that passed, it just went into effect, I think this January. Um, yeah, January 1st, it just went into effect. 
you know, bans those products from, from being sold and from being used. And yeah, it's, it's just a really important thing because there was clear science that it killed our, was killing our coral reefs. And obviously, you know, coral reefs are already stressed out from a lot of other factors. So this is just one easy thing that we can do. And there's so many local, national, global companies now that are making super um, healthy, natural sunscreen with clean ingredients and you know, if, even if you're just a selfish person, you don't care about the coral reefs. You should care about your body your and what skin. you're Well, and your I just had so a baby. Porous. So, right. of course, you know, between everybody knows that between the first like six months, they're not supposed to have like the sunscreen they have to have is like this super clean sunscreen. And that's probably the sunscreen we should be using all the Throughout time, right? Not just for the first six months of a baby's life. Um, and so I just kind of. I end up using his sunscreen, but most, a lot of the products now that are out there are, you know, much better. Like if you just yeah. pick it up off the store now. So yeah. Any of these like local sunscreen companies, like little hands, um, all good and raw elements are national and they, they work really well and they're totally natural, but, um, anything you put it, you know, my whole philosophy that I've discovered just through all the studies and research that I've done is that what's good for the planet is also going to be good for you health-wise, whether it's eating plant-based and organic, eating low plastic packaged food, because um, plastic packaging, especially when heated up, is so toxic for our bodies. And it passes on to our kids and our breast milk and stuff like that. And so, yeah, in every single area I've studied, what's good for the planet is good for you. So even if you don't care about the planet, which I think most people do, um, but even if you're not an environmentalist you should still be doing these choices for yourself just for yourself yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure um another one was the single-use plastic bags i can't believe that was that was back in 2015 already but i guess it's just the common norm but that was something that you guys worked on and then um i didn't know this one but the ban on smoking at state parks and beaches I'm assuming this has everything to do with the butts, like of the cigarette butts. Like yeah, yeah. So this, so cigarette butts. Um, according to some major uh, studies and counts, cigarette butts are the most commonly littered item uh, found on beaches and shorelines around the world. Um, and so, you know, I think as this law was in the process, there was a beach cleanup that Surfrider did that. Um, you know, it was kind of like a challenge. Like, let's, it was at Ala Moana and it was like, let's find as many cigarette butts as we can just to prove that this is a problem. And there was, I believe, 12,000 cigarette butts wow. found in one hour. And, um, you know, it's been a significant decrease since the law passed. And, you know, it's city and state beaches, parks, and bus stops, um, you know, which is it's outdoor spaces that everyone uses. So, very common place for people to be smoking and flicking their cigarette butts. I give people the benefit of the doubt that these cigarette smokers who are flicking their butts, most of them don't know that their cigarette butts are made out of plastic. Because when you look at it, it looks and feels like paper. Mm-hmm. Um, but the you know the vast majority of them are the inside a filter. plastic fiber. Oh, yeah. So we we don't realize how much stuff is made out of plastic. We would think it's natural, but almost everything, even any polyester clothing. That's all plastic, nylon, plastic, um, all petroleum-based, requires fossil fuels to produce. And I think that's kind of um, why the cigarette ban was so important, because it just started to raise awareness about that. And if you're doing it on the beach or in a park, 
in Hawaii, we're so close to the ocean at all times that that's always going to end up in the ocean. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's just so many chemicals. So that and the plastic bag ban, I think that's kind of what makes us leaders nationally and internationally in passing environmental legislation. Me as as a millennial, I feel like we have so much more to do, so much you, more, yeah, we so do. much faster. <laughs> we, do. we must do it. But um, objectively, Hawaii is quite progressive, and although it takes longer than I'd like, and I and then I think we have, um, you know, I think we're still an inspiration to many other places. I think that's the key, though, is to not be overwhelmed by everything that you think has to be done in a short period of time because if you do that I think you come to a place where you just want to give up right so it's every little bit helps so every little bit that you're doing to better your community your world your you know space your family I mean even if it's something small if everybody can do something small it'll be a much bigger change for as a whole so that's all I kind of as much as people say, but it doesn't make much of a difference. I'm like, it will if everybody does it, <laughs> right? I think that's the philosophy is like you, every action you take, even though you're just one person, just think like if everyone did this one action, even if it's like using less paper towels or whatever, the small thing is bringing your utensils that you just think if everyone did this, would the world be a better place or a worse place? So you litter, if everyone did this, the world will be a worse place. So it's really simple like activity I do in my own head. So I try to, whenever I can, make the positive impact choices. Um, because even if it's, even if hypothetically you're one of the only ones doing it, you're going to be happier and more at peace inside. You're going to be able to like be part of this community and society with more inner peace, and you're going to be more effective in whatever you do. So I think that's just important for anyone to realize that your choices matter, even if it's just for your own well-being. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, and then let's see, I know I wanted to, for all of these kind of, I wouldn't say rallies, but you know, when you do lobby or you are getting testimonies and you're working together, what are the other, I guess, partners that you usually partner up with just so the listeners can hear who else, um, participates and who they can also reach out to for a lot of these things too. Yeah, we have an amazing coalition of environmental organizations. There that, you go, coalition. <laughs> yeah, that get together for a variety of issues. Uh, you know, one of them is Sierra Club, um, Hawaii chapter, and they have groups on every island. And, you know, their their staff is entirely female, um, amazing women that run that organization. And uh, they've just, you know, I used to be on the executive committee, and it's just an amazing, probably one of the biggest well-known environmental organizations in the world. Mm-hmm the country but the Hawaii chapter is really progressive and have made a lot of positive impact um zero waste Oahu is one that's newer that we all kind of co-created and has really taken off and and done a lot of this organizing around plastic waste reduction moving away from the incineration uh dependence we have on our island sustainable coastlines Hawaii they're just like the beach cleanup um you know beach cleanup masters like they just really like turn beach cleanups into these huge thousand person parties and just really popularize that concept. Uh, Kokua Hawaii Foundation focus on youth and environmental education and have some amazing people on their team. Uh, and, you know, some businesses to all of our ocean friendly restaurants, sustainable island products, um, and they are a distributor for 100% compostable and paper products. So oh, before you end on that, yeah. that um, note, 
Um, I know that we've talked about it when we did um, Equal Malama group um, when they talked about their products, but could we give a real quick explanation? Yes. On compostable. Um, just, yeah, because <laughs> I you. think um, some people don't know, like when they see that plastic spoon that looks like more earth friendly or eco friendly, like can you, can you I just, can break yes. yeah. let's break that down just real quick. Let's just put a few minutes in. No, that's totally to do confusing that. <laughs> for people and it took me years to understand what was Biodegradable, you know, just different things like that. Yeah. So number one, um, Products have certifications, and that's really important when we're talking about them. So certified compostable goes through a third party, and it, it requires that these products don't have any petroleum-based ingredients in it. So when you see a certified compostable product, you're looking at a largely plant-based or entirely plant-based product. So compostable products can look just like plastic. They can feel like cardboard or paper, um, but the certified compostable, you know, label and category means that it's not petroleum based. So even if it looks like plastic, it's far better. Um, but then there's this whole sketchy division of biodegradable and biodegradable products. Uh, although that word in our common knowledge, it just means like a banana peel, it's going to biodegrade. Unfortunately, the plastic industry has co-opted that term and used it as a greenwashing tool to manipulate people into thinking that biodegradable, quote-unquote biodegradable products are sustainable. But in reality, um, they have no, uh, no regulations on that word. So what most biodegradable products include um, are up to 97% plastic. So some biodegradable products are pretty much entirely plastic and they put 3% corn or 5% corn, and then they're like, this is biodegradable, and the way they get away with that is by saying, it will break down faster in the environment. But in the environment, if you have a product that's contaminated with mostly plastic and a little bit of plants, that's actually worse than plastic because it's going to be breaking down faster and it's going to be even more impossible to clean up because it's broken down far faster um, while being still mostly plastic. So I always say don't trust any biodegradable products unless it's clearly saying compostable as well. If it only has biodegradable and not compostable on it, it's most likely going to be mostly plastic or large percentage of plastic, which is not really beneficial. So you're looking for paper or compostable, but you also want to realize that a lot of paper products are lined with plastic, like Dixie cups, paper plates. Um, so that's kind of why I prefer certified compostable and I kind of use compostable more as terminology that's just safer to not have that contamination. The other thing too is about certain compostable products that look like plastic. Um, they will and can be compostable with a certain type of um, oh, yeah. composting um, yeah. in big machine, yeah. which we don't have here in Hawaii. So what ends up happening, it, it all just ends up going to each power yeah. anyways um, at the end of the day. So um, it's better than burning plastic right. um, because that burns cleaner. But at the end of the day, if it's sitting out on the ground at the beach in the sand, it will sit there for a very long time still, not, not 800 years, but our whole lives. I mean, I'm sure like you could bury it and it will still be sitting there. So, or it'll be in a landfill for a while. So just FYI, the kind of um, material that would probably be ideal is like the paper, the wood, you know, 
bamboo, bamboo. yeah those kinds of products you know like i said we don't like advocate for compostable it's just like kind of an important step forward correct um from our dependence on plastic because i don't foresee our society moving from plastic takeout everywhere to reusable so that's the end goal yes but we're like okay let's introduce paper and compostables again and then we'll introduce this reusable so it's a step-by-step but we don't like say yes compostables are like amazing it's just it's a positive step in the right direction but it's still so wasteful (laughs) and i don't think people realize like for one plastic or one compostable you're using so many gallons of water so much energy to to produce that one product and if you're throwing it away after one use especially with plastic which even though it technically you're supposed to throw it out it, you could actually use it hundreds of times because it's so sturdy um but to use it only one time is such, such a waste of our natural resources and the oil used to transport it globally around the world just to get to your restaurant to get to you <laughs> it's just really frustrating because it's a, it could last forever or it could just toxify our environment so um with that said yeah you guys are working on a new initiative this new pilot program which is full cycle takeout so can we explain that one a little bit yeah so full cycle takeout the new pilot program it's led by zero waste oahu and it's funded by the NOAA marine debris program and so we are the only hawaii project that won a grant for this grant cycle and full cycle takeout it's a pilot to uh, offer food trucks and small small food businesses on Oahu a reusable container service. And, you know, a lot of businesses really want to move to this reusable model, but they don't want to deal with the dishwashing. They don't want to, all of that stuff. It's just stressful for them, which is totally understandable. So this model has been proven in, in other cities like Portland and San Francisco with um, people can look up GoBox or Dispatch Goods. Um, but it kind of went viral in some social media videos of this lady in Portland biking around all these reusable containers. And the concept is that we offer reusable takeout boxes to food trucks. Food trucks don't have like the space to do dishwashing. So then they give the reusable containers with the takeout inside to their customers. The customers, when they're done, will return it into our receptacles. And then, um, you know, we would manage all of the picking up, sanitizing to DOH regulations, food safe regulations, returning in the next morning, and the business uses it again. So at this point, it would be a free service for the first chunk of businesses because it's been grant funded. How much of a grant? did you guys get for something like that? That seems like it would be a lot of... It's, it's kind of significant. I don't remember off the top of my head, but it, it allows for us to like hire um, people on a part-time basis and like just buy out. We have to buy all these reusable containers. Awesome. So Zero Waste Oahu has really been the lead on this project, but it's it's really the feature. And not only that, like businesses spend so much money, thousands of dollars a year on throwaway takeout boxes. Um, and you know this is just one way for them to outsource that for the time being it would be free but in the future it would still be cheaper to pay for that service um, than to funny. buy all those products we're, all, we're going back to how things were like <laughs> the milkman the milkman um, diaper service right <laughs> I mean my parents did diaper service um, 
I don't know, it's really tough to use reusable diapers. I've been doing it as often as I can, but it, it's it's rough. <laughs> I've heard mixed reviews, but it's just cool how we're realizing, you know, some of our modern ways are so unsustainable that we can modernize the old ways of doing things. So that milkman model, um, things like that, like reusing things, I think. It's, it's like just... Blue Tree Cafe, like when they have their juices and they're able to. Yeah, yeah, reuse and you bring them back. I know Kauai Juice Co. does that with all of their stores too. Guy Kombucha, I think they, I think it's a fifty cent or a twenty five cent deposit on the Sky Kombucha glass bottles, and they're all based Waimanalo, super local, um, organic kombucha. And you know, you just I will, you know, get my Sky Kombucha bottles, return it, and get like a dollar or whatever back. Mm-hmm. So it's way better than the five cents. Mm-hmm, You're more mm-hmm. likely to return it. So there's these really small examples of this happening and, um, you know, the whole history of it is like about Coca-Cola and these huge beverage companies back in the day, like in the 50s, one company started doing all disposable, whereas before all the beverage companies were using really high quality durable glass, refilling it, collecting it, refilling it. And these companies were like doing it because they wanted their bottles back because they're Mm -hmm. high quality bottles. They don't want to buy new ones. Um, but when one company started doing this disposable model, the customers got used to that convenience um, and, and all the other companies needed to start competing in that way. And I think uh, just I think it's important to understand the history of why we've become so dependent on our throwaway d- disposable convenience culture. And just when we understand that history, we can you know demand that our companies go back to the way that they're used to doing things because you'll hear Coca-Cola and stuff say like, we can't do any of that, like blah, blah, blah. But there's a clear history that they've done it for a long time and it wouldn't be that hard for them, especially with the resources for a company like that could just start doing it again. Would you say that COVID has caused so much more of a hindrance or a holdup on your initiatives? Because now I feel like, well, I would go to Starbucks, right? And just give them my mug and I can't do that anymore. And then they are giving us all this they're selling a lot of, you know, actually now this recycled glass products and all these things we could do, but they still have to serve us this paper cup. I know. I'm just it's like, been so hard. at least they now, um, what I noticed recently is instead of having to put that the plastic straw. thing in, they put a little sticker on top. It's a little oh. circle sticker that covers the top now and it has, and it's paper and it's no longer that big, that, that plastic piece. Oh, that's good. I mean, they're always innovating. And I trust that these corporations are kind of trying. I don't think they're trying their best. (laughs) But I think customers are demanding better. And so if you go to San Francisco, I went to a Starbucks there, like it's so much more progressive. It's crazy. And it's because of the local laws. And so you'll actually find when we try to ban uh, certain plastics here at a super local level, you'll get some like fancy schmancy guy from the mainland in like a big suit and he's just like no we can't ban this here on Maui because it could be a slippery slope for our company nationwide Um, and I think that's kind of why counties like ours Honolulu small counties San Francisco like you think you're just one little county in this whole country but you know if you you start the movement the companies 
it's easier for them to just do it nationwide and they'll end up giving in. But for a while, they'll send these high paid lobbyists um, to resist it as long as possible. Wow. Yeah. And so that's kind of it's it's empowering when I see uh, some dude from New York or whatever. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're really scared about our teeny little island, aren't you? Um, Interesting. Yeah. They come all the way to Hawaii. <laughs> well, Oahu definitely has um, an urban core for sure. And we, I mean, even something like Costco back in the day, it was the highest grossing Costco may still be, um, <laughs> the one that was here. But a lot of big stores that actually make it here and set foot here, like the amount of money that they make kept them afloat and, and then in other places when they weren't. So, I mean, it's... It's a little powerhouse for sure. Yeah, and um, just to touch upon your last question about um, how tough it is now with COVID and all the plastic and disposables. You know, before, I felt like we were getting to this place where a lot of small and big companies were allowing you to bring your own uh, utensils and cups and mugs, and that was really great. They were even offering discounts. Like Starbucks mm-hmm. had this discount that started this movement. Um, and now there's this like fear, and, and it's a, like I said, it's this fear-based mentality that is not always based in truth. And it is that, you know, reusables aren't safe anymore. And I can see if it's okay, like you're bringing something from home and blah, 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 like that is potentially like an issue. Um, But, you know, with a lot of these businesses, they're not even offering reusable tableware for their dine-in customers um, when they used to, like coffee shops and stuff like that. Um, But our whole message is like the Department of Health has the same strict sanitation requirements they always have. So in fact, you know, re- reusable tableware like plates and mugs that are being washed, like all businesses right now are washing it up to these really stringent standards, that's actually safer from a sanitation and public health perspective than these disposables that are like being stored in open air for long periods of time. Um, and I think that's really the message we want to share is that you don't have to be businesses don't have and customers don't have to be afraid of uh, using reusables because they're being washed and um, sanitized to the highest standards. And, and you have way less risk of transmitting anything, COVID or not, um, from this reusable tableware and utensils from the businesses. So we're hoping that it'll shift back when things kind of like settle down. Um, but it has been sad that I haven't been able to bring my reusable cup and all that stuff. But so in the future, the ones that you're talking about isn't going to be something where we can bring it from our home. It will be a service that is um, doing all of this. And then when you are done with your actual dinnerware or your serviceware, then you would put it in the certain bin or whatnot. And then that specific company will then sanitize it i think there's like three yeah three models that's one of the models where a business outsources that or customers will be able to bring their own but you just we all got to be mindful that they, these things need to be clean when they go or businesses will just create a reusables program get a commercial dishwasher and uh, manage that themselves so there's this like three little and i think it's going to require all of them moving forward awesome well i think did we cover everything that you can think of that surf rider does. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much, but yeah. yeah, that's a lot on the waste front, and um, you know, there's yeah. a, a lot, lot of stuff going on with sea walls and sea level that's, rise. That's I think. I think that was the next, the last question was where as um, future endeavors that you guys are working on, and I think that one would be one of them. Is there anything else that you have in the horizons besides that? 
program and and seawalls probably not huh you got a you guys got a lot we got a lot of stuff going on yeah but that's the so how big is your team um at surfrider yeah it's just me on staff for oahu so full-time and then my supervisor lauren blickley she's based on maui but she's the manager for the region so throughout the state of hawaii so there's just two of us on staff for the state but we have an amazing team of volunteers um on each chapter so oahu and then there's chapters on the neighbor islands and um you know each one has like an executive committee that's volunteer based which is like a board about seven people and then we have a whole swath of core volunteers that run or support our programs and then an outer core of just like everyone who comes to our cleanups and supports us in all these other amazing ways um so I would say on how oh, big is your like membership here on Oahu? We have 300 paying members on Oahu. Wow, awesome. And a lot more like just uh, island, you know, statewide. But yeah, we have about 40 core volunteers on Oahu that dedicate a lot of time and then kind of thousands statewide that just support our work in a lot of great ways. So if you guys are interested more in Surfrider Foundation or potentially helping with one of their initiatives or checking out one of their beach cleanups because I know things have changed over time you can reach out to them they have um, if you want to mention your website and your handles maybe really yeah. quick I'll also have it in the information on the podcast but nice. go ahead yeah so our website is oahu.surfrider.org and our handles on IG and Facebook are surfrider oahu and then um, my email is dshin at oahu.surfrider.org so if anyone emails me i can direct you to the right people awesome well thank you so much thanks for wrapping all of this up in under an hour we did pretty good covered a lot and um that's all i have for for you guys all today thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast at www.smartlivinghi.org also follow us on Instagram at, at smart underscore living underscore Hawaii and then like us on Facebook. Until next time, live smart. Mahalo. Mahalo.